Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast with the goal to hold to Scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright. My name is Logan Batisti. And sorry it's been a delay since we've came to you, but we are sitting here on a beautiful day with oh, bellies full. A gorgeous Friday night. Yeah. And you're welcome, Crystal, for trying to do this on a Friday night. Yeah. Hey, it's not the week, but some of us do have to work in the morning. <laughs> that was me last week, though. Yeah. What's well, interfering with my turkey hunting? Oh, poor guy. It is. I know you're playing a song on your violin over there. Yeah, I haven't really gone turkey hunting yet. I'd love to do it just once, but not anytime soon. I don't. I'm trying it. I haven't turkey hunted since I was a kid, so. Mm-hmm. This is like me officially going. Oh, pretty much. Like by yourself, like I'm well, a big Kyle's man. With, yeah. Kyle's with me. I'm not grown up yet. I haven't even asked if Remington's gone yet. I haven't even heard. I talked to him Wednesday. He said he didn't go yet, but he was wanting to go. Uh, I think he's going to go tomorrow. Oh, is he? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah we're going to go out to the Amish market tomorrow, probably, since Girls Date got canceled. Cream cheese danishes. Do they have the bakery at that one? They do have a bakery at that one. Mm. They have two of them. Cream cheese danish. I'm already fat enough as it is. And my wife would kill me if I bought those. It's really... It might be good, but it's not good for her. It's gluten and it's cream cheese. She doesn't have to eat it. It's for you. Do you want to be able to do another podcast? early father's day how can you maintain that father figure without that cream cheese danish you're gonna let it go to waste (laughs) i'll let the father figure go to waste okay (laughs) but yeah um no it's been a pretty long break i've been doing pretty good i mean i get to start teaching wednesday nights here soon it's exciting and Uh, you're gonna be going over the new testament sweet yeah. Revelation, right? That's the last one on the list, so i got a ways <laughs> to go before we get to there. Now, we're going to start off in the book of Mark instead mm-hmm. of Matthew. Nice. But a couple of reasons. I mean, Mark was the one that was possibly written first. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark is also the one who both Matthew and Luke could have based some of their stuff off of. Yeah. There's a lot of... I get really... I've researched that a little bit. There's some very interesting theories out there on like marking uh, priority and and uh, Matthean priority. And I mean, it, it's like, it's it, really fascinating. It's fascinating. But like at the same time, when they were explaining to me in college, I was like, um, okay, yeah. cool. Like look, they made it look like a bunch of math equations. Like, oh no, that's not cool. <laughs> no. I mean, it was simple ones. Like, you do like do MR for Mark or something like that. Or they're even talking about the whole Q source thing. Yeah, the Q source. Yeah. And so like M plus Q equals MR or something like that is the way that just to make it easier for notes, but Yeah, I get that. I the mean, Q the Q source has always puzzled me. I, I still don't get it completely. I yeah. mean like I guess it makes sense that there could be like some There does, but for those for those of you that don't know what the Q source is, it's a alleged 
Yeah. Because this word a document. So basically, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called what we call a synoptic gospels. Mm-hmm. And so what Q alleges is that all three of those use this source that's that we have no record of, mm-hmm. but basically all three of them use that source to incorporate into their own thing. Mm-hmm. And this might be oversimplifying it for all you scholars out there, but Oh, it's I mean, they they probably could knock it out of the park, but we're just simple. Yeah. <laughs> we're just simple folks here. So But basically in a pinch, that's one of the theories of why they're mm-hmm. synoptic gospels is because they all use a common source like that. That's called Q. Yeah. And from what you're reading, I mean, correct me if I'm, if, if I'm wrong, but I've always just felt like the Q hypothesis is like almost a evolutionary type approach to like scripture. Well, just to be honest, I haven't read up on this oh. in like four or five years. So, Well, it's probably been like a year or two, but we did the, well, it's probably been longer than that, but we did a whole like yeah, two I'm, classes on it and it I just, mean, it like puzzled me. Yeah, I mean, in my survey to New Testament class, yeah, we talked <laughs> about how that happened. But, I mean, it's puzzling, but it's also important to think of mm-hmm. how out of the Enlightenment all these things started coming across is like, yeah, where did the text originally come from? Mm-hmm. Like, we get to endings in, in Mark mm-hmm. where you're like, this doesn't exactly match up to what was going on. Or you get to the woman at the well. Yeah. Or not the woman at the well. uh, The woman caught in adultery. Yeah. 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 Wrong. (laughs) In John chapter eight, you get some manuscripts to where it's in John. Mm -hmm. Others, I think some have it in Luke. Yeah. And I believe it floats in Luke. Yeah. So I believe some manuscripts have it in the middle of Luke and then some have it towards the end of Luke. So I remember right. You get to some of these things, and then there's other books like Revelations, one of them, where mm-hmm. it went under intense scrutiny during the whole time of source criticism or textual mm-hmm. criticism. Well, I guess those are both separate disciplines, but they both kind of... But they both still... Yeah. They intercorrelate. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a good point. I guess I always am guilty of thinking the Enlightenment is such a negative aspect, but I... I I think of it as a negative aspect when it comes to scripture mm-hmm. and, and, and God's word. But, I, you know, there is some good things come out of it because of, you know, inspecting the, the gospels for those additions, trying to get to the purest source of text, understanding where textual variants are and, and the date of those and the evidence we have for those. And we shouldn't blindly just bury our head in the sand and ignore those things. Right. I mean, we always talk about how the Christian faith is something that's not just something you blindly do through faith. Yes. There are parts where you follow through God to where you can't go, where you can't understand and through his power. But at the same time, it's not just based on like, Oh, I'm going to blindly do this without any second thoughts or anything like this. No, I mean, we're called to love the Lord with all our minds as well. Which includes yeah. our thoughts, our thinking, and we're allowed to logically think through Scripture. Yeah, God has given us reason and logic, and we shouldn't detach those when we come to Scripture. We should bring those to the table mm-hmm. and then just realize that um, we are supposed to do that in faith, not out of faith. 
Absolutely. All right. So, I mean, even thinking about logically about things that are going on in, in the alignment of how neg- negative aspects come out mm-hmm. or how good things can still come out of negative aspects. Let's think about lamentations since that's the series we're on today. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're finally finishing this like five months later. <laughs> which, five months later. Okay, SpongeBob. <laughs> but we finally got to this point of where Israel is in this time of persecution mm-hmm. where you go through the story. If you go back through past episodes, we've kind of explained it a little bit of how Babylon has besieged Jerusalem mm-hmm. and is utterly destroyed it, taking its people away. Some of its people away in exile and the rest of them has just been a terrible state of mind where they're eating their children, they're, Princes and stuff have been killed. In fact, we'll see here in five, it kind of gives a summary of still what's going on mm-hmm. in the author's petition and prayer to God, which for an author we believe is Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go through this. I want us to think about this thought for a second. It says, we come to those instances of where our world is falling apart, right? Mm-hmm. And we get so locked up in self-pity we get so locked up in despair hopelessness mm-hmm. that we kind of don't take the time to look into the future like the way that Stephen smith had put this is said someone had said when the world is falling apart it might just be falling into place oh i like the way you said that yeah i mean it really got me thinking about James and Remington were talking about Vody Bakken's sermon Mm -hmm. on Joseph. He's talking about how we misunderstand the story of Joseph sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Joseph has just gotten proclaimed to the second ruler, right? Mm -hmm. But he's given a new name. Wrong name. He's given a new robe. Not the robe he's supposed to wear. Mm -hmm. He's given a new ring. Not the ring he's supposed to have. He's in Pharaoh's house, not the house he's supposed to be in. Mm. We look at how Joseph is faithful and God rewards him for that, Mm -hmm. right? When in reality, I miss the point of looking at God had used Joseph in a spot. And it's not the spot where theoretically they're supposed to be. I mean, Mm -hmm. the whole point is to be in the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. And he's far from that. And he's so far from that. But what is the point? I mean, uh, I'm going to have to go back to it now just because I like the way that Joseph explains this himself when he's revealing himself to his brothers. In 45 verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household a Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here before you to preserve life. God sent him 
to this land to preserve life. Mm-hmm. And a common theme throughout Genesis is about the curse that God had placed on Adam and Eve early on, mm-hmm. or it's a part of the covenant where it talks about how the seed of the woman shall strike the head of the, the serpent. Se- serpent, right? Mm-hmm. And so throughout Genesis, you get these two sides going on. To, mm-hmm. The first one's Cain and Abel. And Cain obviously tries to take Abel, mm-hmm. but Abel's not the fully promised one. Mm-mm. It moves on to Seth. And you go through the line of Seth to Noah. And Cain's family's off doing its own thing. I mean, it looks like a grand oise time for some of them rule cities. Mm-hmm. And even one says his revenge is worth than Cain's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's Lamech is his name, if I remember. Yeah. I think it's like Cain's revenge is sevenfold minus 77 or something like that. I'll have to look that up. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting tidbit. But so you go on and you go mm-hmm. to Noah. Noah only has one seed who's allowed to be the promised son mm-hmm. and goes along, along the line to Abram. Abram has two sons or Abraham. And obviously there's only one mm-hmm. who's Isaac. Isaac has two sons. Which one's going to be the one of the promised seed? Jacob. I'm saying this in the right order, right? <laughs> yeah. So you get mm-hmm. Jacob and then Jacob has his 12 sons. Mm-hmm. Which one of those is the seed going through? Is it Joseph? No. It's actually Judah. It's actually Judah. Which is actually not good when you look. I mean, he is repentant. Out of all the brothers, the ones that I would most want to be like is Joseph and Judah. Hmm. I mean, obviously, you see it, Judah. He's part of, of course, part of the ones who hates his brother. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he's the one who came up with the idea <clears throat> to sell him into slavery. Mm-hmm. And then there's another story about him in between, like this break of yeah, what's with, going on with Joseph. With uh, Tamara. So, and he ends up sleeping with his with supposed his... to be daughter in law, mm-hmm. gets her pregnant. And, and to it, make it even worse, he thought she was a prostitute. Right. Mm-hmm. But. In the end, he's like, I know that she is more honorable than me, and I am sorry. Mm-hmm. And I think he ends up having to marry her or something like he has that. A, he, has a really, he has a really repentant heart. Right. And you see that continues. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stop there the one time. When you come to this point in Genesis where Joseph is testing his brothers, Judah is lays down his life mm-hmm. for Benjamin so mm-hmm. that Benjamin doesn't have to stay there so that his father doesn't have to weep. And you kind of see that Jude is really stepping up as kind of the way the firstborn should because his three older brothers, you kind of see how they don't fit into this promise seed. But Judah ends up being the one who does this. We kind of see that Joseph realizes what God has called him to do. It's preserve his family, to help them multiply it might not be where they're supposed to be, but when you get to Exodus, I mean, you get to a point of where the Egyptian Pharaoh is so worried about the Hebrews that they'd be a numerous people that if they joined their enemies, they would overthrow Egypt. 
which the funny thing is, is yes, they are numerous enough to, but who is the one who overthrows Egypt? God himself and not using Egypt at, or not using, using Israel, at Israel at all. He does it by his own hand, his own power. They have absolutely no part in it. Just, just, just simply there. Right. They have no recourse. They have no weapons. They have, they are, you know, sitting ducks everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. And God protects them. God leads them through. <laughs> and gives them to the point of where they go into the land that is their inheritance. And fulfill starts to fulfill his promise to Abram. Mm-hmm. Or at least along the journey too. And, I mean, you get to that point and Joshua and Israel takes Canaan. And then they have, yeah, at this time they have the kings, King David. And he's the prototype of what the Messiah King's supposed to be. And they still fail epically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see David we, fall into sin. You see the whole nation suffer. Yeah, I mean, this is a story we've gone over a few times now. Suffering, peaks, and very deep valleys. And then peak, and then smaller valley, and then big peak, and then really big valley. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Big peak, you might get like a super small one here for a (laughs) second. Like a a nub. With Josiah, and then it's... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's then, like the cartoon crash and burn. Uh-huh. But through all this time, I mean, it's leading up to a perfect point in history mm-hmm. where we get to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, it might have looked strange to get there, and it's hard for us to remember in our times of distress that our world might be falling apart, but it might be the way that God is shaping us to make something greater. Yeah. No matter how dark it is, it doesn't mean that God is not in control and does not have a purpose for what he's doing. Right, absolutely. Oh, I got to turn back to Lamentations. Okay. So we are officially in Lamentations chapter 5. Which is our last episode of our second series. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, two series. Two series, and then the third one will be coming up. I think we'll do a little buffer episode. How about that? We do a little buffer episode. Uh, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring in... I'm going to bring in my book of the New City Catechism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're just going to open up to a random question. Oh, I like that. And then we're just going to go from there and see where it takes us. Mm. I think that would be pretty interesting, a little banter. Yeah. But... I mean, it still follows along lines we get to take and go with in the Bible where our thought process leads, like I just did with <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> you just going to see how far you can chase a rabbit? Let's see how far we can chase a rabbit. Oh, we can. <laughs> We're good Baptists. We can go for a while. Oh, I thought that was just for food. Well, <laughs> that's a good point. We stop for food. <laughs> but, okay. So what's going on in Lamentations right now? Just... A re- little bit more of a recap, just because we zoomed out for a second. So, coming to the the book of Lamentations, obviously the name is very fitting. Absolutely. So you, you essentially have five woes 
if that makes sense. It's this is written in what's uh, many believe a funeral text or a dirge. Some speculate. There's other variations of that, and what that means is essentially it, it's depicting a fall of something, something catastrophic is happening, and each five of these poems stand separate, but they all stand together at the same time. I don't know if this is scholarly proof or not, but it, it reminds me of the way the Pentateuch is kind of. Mm. Each of them could stand alone, but at the same time, like they, they build, they build upon each other. Mm-hmm. Or if yeah. you look at the Book of Psalms, both of that's that's what it's made to do as well mm-hmm. is reiterate back towards the Pentateuch. That's why there's five books of the Psalms. Yeah, one might very question why there's five chapters in Lamentations. I mean, it's could be. Or why there's five discourses in Matthew. Hmm. Biblical numerology. <laughs> it's You have these five poems. They can stand alone, but they really build off of each other in mm-hmm. sequence. With the peak, the, the really thrust of everything being in chapter three. Mm-hmm. It builds up to a climax, and now we're, unfortunately, at the crashing halt of it. And we're really at the tail end of it. Yeah. So you have chapter one. Who you have, you have 22, you have chapter chapter 2, where you have another 22, you have chapter 3, where you actually have a much greater, you have 66, 66 yep. and then chapter 4 goes back down to 22. And then 5 is 22. And 5 is 22, but the interesting part is 5 is much smaller. It's still 22 verses, but it's actually letter-wise, it's actually smaller than the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's a condensed poem. It still uses an alphabetic sequence. So that's been the poem. Well, let me state this first. It uses the alphabetic, but it's not in sequence. It uses uh-huh. alphabetical. So the first one through four are pretty much an alphabetic sequence. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Five still uses the alphabet, but it's not in sequence. It's kind of shotgunned. Right. It's very erratic. Well, when you watch the rise in Lamentations, with the peak being in chapter three that is so detailed, it is so meticulous, and chapter four gets a little less meticulous, and then chapter five is really kind of everywhere. Chaotic, yeah. It's very chaotic. It's so much chaos, but even within the chaos, there is still a structure, and that's what makes... Lamentations very unique. <laughs> Bless you. Sorry, it's allergy season, <laughs> folks. So we've had chapters one and two, very dark, very gloomy. We're going to see some of those. Uh, you're going to see chapter five recall back to some of those. Chapter three was very personal. You see Jeremiah take the external destruction, and he really puts himself in the shoes of the people, and he goes back and forth. And chapter four... Well, chapter three is also like one of the few points of where there's light in the yes. ho- hopefulness of that steadfast covenant love that God has given throughout the Old Testament up mm-hmm. to this point in time. Yeah. Because in all reality, it shouldn't have never made it to Jeremiah, most likely. <laughs> no. You have that really peak in... I think it's verse 23, I think is what Pretty much 23. Kind of pick up in 20... Chapter 3, verse 20, Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I have hope in him. So you have bringing back that loving kindness, the covenantal love of God being recalled at this very moment. And that's the silver lining that is the anchor point in this dark, gloomy depiction, no matter what's going around, that is the high peak. Right. And that brings us to chapter five. five. Okay. So verse one, uh, let's go one through 10. Okay. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sin and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Mm. So you see that in verse 1, that remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Everything that has occurred, this destruction, this utter chaos that has ensued. Lord, remember what has happened. Let's pause and think about this for a second. Why is the author using the word remember? Mm -hmm. Let's key Mm -hmm. in on that. Is it because God is a forgetful God? Absolutely not. It kind of brings me, when I think about this, back to when Moses is interceding for Israel on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. What does he base it on? He bases it on the Lord remembering his covenant mm-hmm. with his people. I like to think, going along those lines, what it says about Abraham mm-hmm. when he goes to sacrifice Isaac. And it says, I was not prepared, so I don't have my notes, but <laughs> it says, I believe it was in the book of Hebrews, that he was willing, that he trusted in God who was even able to raise the dead. Mm hmm. He knew that God had promised this was going to be the one. Right. This is the promised son. This was the one that God wouldn't take away, that he even so willing to do it because he knew that God would give him back in life. Yeah. So he's standing there in the face of his child, getting ready to commit one of the most horrendous things you can possibly imagine. And he still trusts in God that no matter what, his son will not die. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it comes out of remembering not as like, God, you are so forgetful. Why can you not remember your covenant? No, it's pointing towards God to act because he knows God is the one who can act, who can Mm -hmm. save them, who can redeem them. Mm -hmm. Simply hearkening back to that covenantal love. He's saying, Lord, remember that love. Remember what you have done for us. Don't forget us, Lord. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, goes on, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Well, we kind of covered that a little bit in the introduction, but it's this promise that the land of Canaan is supposed to be theirs and that they are supposed to be God's people and that they are to be a kingdom of priests who shows the nations what it is like to be in relationship with God. And I mean, that's basically kind of what it's referring to and at this point in time because they have failed in that mm-hmm. Babylonia or Babylon 
I don't know why I was about to say Babylonia. I, mean, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, thing. it kind of works, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Babylon and Assyria have come and taken the land back and done exactly to Israel what Israel had done to the Canaanites before them. Mm-hmm. At this time, when he says, remember, and then he jumps into our inheritance has been turned away, saying you know, he's just he's showing what he wants the Lord to remember. Remember what you've promised to us, that everything's been taken away from us, that we our land is gone, and now other people are dwelling here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, the rest of these verses kind of like a summary of what is going on, where it talks about how they become orphans, our mothers are like widows, which if you keep in mind in chapter one, mm-hmm. it refers to Lady Zion being like a widow. Which is a great connection. It, it brings back to chapter one. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good point. It's also interesting, you know, we have become orphans. Who, who's the father? It's God. Right. It's showing the disparity of these people. What would happen in ancient context if the father was removed or the father had passed away? There was no one to protect the family. There was no one to give to the family. The family was desolate, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're relating to that. Their father has hypothetically, you know, let's say that died in the sense that they no longer have a protector. They no longer have substance. They, and that's about to be flushed out later, you know, mm-hmm. as it goes on, but they no longer have those amenities that they once had. Right. It's This isn't the proud <clears throat> Jerusalem being built on Solomon's glory, mm-hmm. parading herself in front of saying, look, this is how great our God is and Mm -hmm. what he has done for us. In fact, it's probably hubris that has partly gotten them there in the first place because they forget what God has done to get them there. Yeah. So let's continue on. What amenities have they lost? It's they've lost the ability to get free water. I mean. Think about that. But we pay for our water. Oh, wait. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) At least those who are on city water. I <laughs> <laughs> don't pay for my water. Um, but I can imagine, like, this is, our water is, what, mm. maybe 30 bucks? I'm sure theirs was a more exuberant price. Well, like, I mean, think about it, too. I mean, we live in Missouri, so there's water pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Here, water was not that easy to find. I mean, what, you got the Sea of Galilee and you got the Jordan. When and- there, was the, there was the spring that ran through. Jerusalem. Oh, oh, that's right. Because uh, Jerusalem's on top. Yeah. What was the name wait, of that aqua? Wait, was the spring? I think the spring was built after this, though. Well, the, but it was it was near it, and then they right. redirected it yeah. into Jerusalem. Into Jerusalem, in case but it was this happened again. But yeah. that was one of their main uh, Source water of, sources, right? And so they have this this desert oasis, essentially, and right. your water source is cut off, where you know. In that sense, today we're like, oh, well, water. I don't have water. I guess I'll just drink tea. Right. <laughs> you know, it, there it's, I don't have water. I'm going to die. Wait, how could you drink tea if you don't have water? It's mm, a good point. You just have to drink Pepsi, I guess. Oh, boy. We're in trouble. <laughs> and then it says, the wood we get must be bought. Mm. I mean, these are the two basic necessities mm-hmm. that they needed at the time that they were struggling to get. You had life-supporting water and 
life-sustaining heat. Or well, I guess you could interchange those. But you couldn't drink water. There was, there was no quenching of thirst. There was no way to keep yourself warm. Yeah, and I mean, you couldn't go out to get it because there was no one to protect you. I mean, mm. there's... Because you didn't have a father. A father, or and there's marauders and other mm. people who would pick on you as soon as you get out because you're too weak to defend yourself mm-hmm. from the malnutrition and malnourishment, which I guess is the exact same thing I just what? said. <laughs> I'm really two for two on saying the same thing over and over again, aren't I? You know, I was once told the best way to understand something is to repeat itself. So we see then it says we have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria. Oh my goodness. They Mm -hmm. didn't. This is the problem that we point to is that Israel's kings had rested in protection from Egypt rather than from God. And And what does Babylon do? Remind you that Egypt is the place in which they came from. Right. And Egypt typically is the opposite of Canaan. (laughs) Really, this is the most interesting thing I ever, I didn't know this until like last year. Every time Egypt is mentioned in scripture, it's always negative. Yeah, it's not meant to be something positive. It's not positive. You have, what happens the first instance someone goes to Egypt? Abraham. Abraham, or Abram, I think, was he Abraham at that time? I don't know. Anyway, he goes down to Egypt and what does he do? He gives his wife away. Yep. And then what happens what happens later in Egypt? You have Joseph. We just read. And you have these continual every time something bad happens or every time someone goes to Egypt, you know there's bad. So they after they escape from Egypt, Which, or the Exodus, they go back to Egypt. Right. Don't get me wrong, there are definitely good times of stuff that happens in those instances because mm-hmm. God still provides through those times. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But Egypt is not where they're supposed to go. No. And scripture clearly points towards that time mm-hmm. and time again. Mm-hmm. It is bad. It is in a bad place. Mm-hmm. And then Assyria. I mean, you can only imagine that Judah has heard what Assyria has done mm-hmm. at this point in time. Looking at history, I think they used to use the blood of the people that they killed as graffiti. <laughs> They're pretty gnarly people. I think they're the ones that wouldn't they stake their enemies outside the, the not yeah. their city, the other people's city. Like they would just kill them and put them on stakes. Yeah, I mean, the city. It's, I think that's kind of towards the start of where crucifixion really started. Mm. Yeah. But this is also the city, like the country that poor Jonah was sent to to go to, yeah. to repent. Yeah. Because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Yeah. <clears throat> and. Jonah was told to go send them to repent. And you see the the animosity at this point, because Jonah, I think, writing very similar to this time period, a little bit before, obviously before, and but the tension is there. Okay, this wasn't just like, oh, I think I'm going to invade Israel. <laughs> no, this is a progression, and they felt this tension coming. And Jonah's like, no, I don't want no part of that. You know, I want those people to get destroyed. But you see. Even in that, God had a purpose. And what was that purpose? Well, it was for them to be his tool. Mm-hmm. And we see that they kind of also repent and are not destroyed. Which And we see God's people. faithfulness, really, because 
How many Babylonians do you see today? Um, that's a great question. I don't, I don't, I mean, the city of Babylon isn't even there anymore. No, but, uh, where's Israel? That's a rabbit hole we don't want to chase. But it's still there. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We know exactly where it's at. And we could make multiple arguments that there's, the Jews are still here. I mean, we have, yes, ethnic Israel, but we also have spiritual Israel. Yep. Back on to track? Yes. Our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Interesting. That's interesting. So, if we sin, do our children bear our guilt? Mm, a tough one. Most people would point back to David, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's other times, too, of where I wish I could name them specifically, but to where God says, okay, I'll remove your kingdom from you. But then the person repents and he says, oh, since you've done this now, I'll wait until your son comes. I wish I could remember specifically who that was. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who knows what I'm talking about. But I know that this happens. And then it's also in Exodus mm-hmm. where God is talking to Moses and he says, I will visit the iniquities upon what i got right here okay go ahead and read it just (laughs) exodus 20 verse 5 this is after this is when the ten commandments are given and he says you shall not worship them so this is let me back up to verse 4 so you get the, the fuller context you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth you shall not worship them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Mm. I actually got an interesting comment out of my study Bible that I want to read. Yeah. It says, A similar description of solidarity between generation is found in Exodus 25 and then in the books of First and Second Kings, with their records of guilt accumulated over the generations. Yes. Passages such as Ezekiel 18 address those who question the justice of being judged for sins they have not committed. Ezekiel answers that those who share in their father's judgment have shared in their father's sins. Each generation bears the guilt of its own sins, not just the guilt of the sins of the previous generations. That's very well put. Yes. Just because your father sinned, you People want to, when, when they see someone else sin and they face repercussions from it, like Israelites here, they say, well, we didn't sin. You know, we didn't disobey God. Therefore, why are we facing punishments? No, but you've disobeyed in other areas. Just because your sin isn't the exact same sin doesn't right. mean that you are scot-free in this situation. Absolutely not. You I mean, are, your sin is compounded upon their sin. Right. It kind of it makes me think of that quote when I see the ad for the new God's Not Dead and it talks about how freedom is only like a generation oh, yeah. away or something like that. Yeah. And I know that's a famous president's quote. I can't think of I think it's Rose uh Franklin Delano Roosevelt, isn't it? Beats me. That or, or Kennedy's. Yeah, I don't feel like it is FDR's. Maybe it's Reagan's. 
You might be right. I think it's Reagan. I think you're right. Um, yeah, it is Ronald Reagan because I can see his face saying it now. Yeah. Um, that it's <laughs> really weird to say, <laughs> but like I could just picture Ronald Reagan talking in yeah and saying freedom is only a generation away. But we get to that point of where okay, the first generation is sinful. Mm-hmm. Do you really? expect that the next one's going to be any better first and second kings and judges are great examples of this kind of idea and each one did what was right in his own eyes right and you see the judges go down on this Mm -hmm. downward spiral it's not even just the common people themselves but the judges themselves we've said time and time again also spiral downward Mm -hmm. just as much to where they do not know the law of the Lord. And you can go to first and second Kings. The most common phrase about the Northern tribes Kings is the next King comes and he did even worse than what his father was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, once in a while you might get somebody who's like, okay, you can, maybe it's just in Judah, but you, you always have this exception though. Yeah. There's like one the, or two exceptions and well, then it's like even worse afterwards. I was like, Oh, it always gets me when you're reading it and it's like, he he was standing up, you know, he was upright in the Lord, but he did not take away the high places. Right. Or or something along those lines. It's like, but he did not destroy the high places. So he was good. Just not <laughs> enough. Just not quite good enough. <laughs> he was okay. He just didn't actually listen to me 100%. <laughs> right. But he was better than the other person, but he was still not good. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing because uh, you brought that up because it is important to know the distinction that God has that yes we suffer for our own sins but sometimes other people's sins are compounded upon our sins their sphere of influence affects our sphere we got our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness which we kind of talked about earlier with the water and the bread or water in the wood I mean There's no way for them to go get it. There's no protection Mm -hmm. for them. I mean, this is a people who's been starving so much that they're eating their own children. Mm -hmm. And mothers are willingly kill their children so that they don't have to experience the suffering. Mm. And you have in verse eight, slaves rule over us. There's no one to deliver us from their hand. But that was you, right? You got the one we got. Can you imagine this? The people that you just had as slaves are ruling over you now. Can you imagine that they'd be very nice to you? (laughs) Remember when you did this to my great, 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 great grandpappy? And then that leaves them, like you said, they haven't delivered them. The bread is the risk of their lives. Our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. Wow, that's just so vivid. I've never been that hungry before, but I guess hot skin is something that happens when you're malnourished. Really? Yeah, that's no. that's what both the commentaries I said, and I guess it's one of the consequences of malnutrition. Oh, mine didn't mention that, but it just mentioned the, the fact that this was uh, the pain, like hot skin, oven, the pain, the anguish of famine. Yeah, no, apparently... It's probably because your body can't keep the temperature as well since you're 
yeah. don't have any water. You really don't have any calories. You're not intaking any calories, which is what your body needs to sustain. It doesn't have that, so it's yeah, kind of attacking itself. Hmm, interesting. So that's the first part. That's kind of a, I mean, a little bit of a summary that's still going on. And you'll see it in the next upcoming verses too. Mm -hmm. Verse 11. (laughs) Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Mm -hmm. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate and the young men their music. I would like to note an interesting aspect that in... Leviticus for women to be raped in the city was an automatic death penalty because if a woman was raped in the city and she cried out it was automatic death there was no if ands or buts and now you see here the the helplessness that this woman can cry out in the streets because that's what they were commanded to do if something was like that happening you were to cry out in the streets and people were to flock to get to help you and there's no one there to help them Mm-hmm. yep i mean there's no more princes they're hung up the elders aren't doing what they're supposed to do anymore there's they're not giving judgment they're mm-hmm. not sitting at the gate socially the elders were not respected Mm-hmm. now this is something i didn't know young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood so this was actually something that women were supposed to do and it would actually be seen as derogatory for the men to be put to do this to work. To work at the grinding mill. Mm-hmm. And to carry the wood. Yep. It says it's degrading toil for a young man. Interesting. I never knew that. It is interesting. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. I mean, that kind of goes with the, the last part is like the old men have left the city gate. And you see time and time again that this gate is where social things took place and also justice was administered at some points. If you look back to the book of Ruth, where Boaz is redeeming Ruth and Naomi. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why can't I think of the name? I just <laughs> said it. It's the book. <laughs> But where does he take place? He goes to the elders at the gate to hand the person his shoe or have his shoe handed to him. But the gate is where these things took place. And Mm -hmm. that's where social gatherings happen. That's where music was played. That's where dancing happened. An important part of showing where the heart is going on in Lamentations is like, this is all gone wrong. This is not where it's supposed to be. Verse 16. Okay. Yeah. Verse 16. The crown has befallen from our head. Woe to us. We have sinned. Oh, this is such a good verse to go into. Which is interesting. If you remember that we have sinned and it harkens back to four and three, I think. And going again about the iniquity that we're facing, the iniquity of our fathers, now we're facing our iniquity, mm-hmm. iniquity that we deserved. And the crown, the achievement, what we've been bestowed with, has fallen from its stance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's even a point, too, where if you think about the crown, 
it could be pointing to the line of David hmm. and see how far that they have fallen. It's interesting. I don't. Yeah. It says some take this to refer to Jerusalem in particular. Probably it represents the glory of Israel and Judah among the nations. Cause I mean, Jerusalem is where the Messiah is supposed to come. Yeah. This is where yeah. the anointed city is. Even in Revelation, it talks about a new, new. Jerusalem. Mm. I mean, this is where God has indwelled in his temple. This is where God has set kings mm-hmm. to rule the world. Just reading that, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, is that wonderful stance they have, and it's just kind of, you know, it's mm-hmm. gone. And, I mean, we're looking at this with the perspective of where we see the future at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the hardest thing to do about, about Scripture sometimes, is it's hard for us to take an instance like this and actually put it into perspective to where these people are at that point where their world is falling apart, where it looks like there's no hope, there's no despair, mm-hmm. where it looks like as if God has forgotten them. Mm-hmm. Which we can see just a few hundred years later, there's Jesus. Thank goodness. This is helpful. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the point to where God is mm-hmm. really pointed. This is the one. This mm-hmm. is the high peak. This is the true king. This is the true rest. This is the true Messiah, the savior from our mm-hmm. cycle of despair that we continually find ourselves in. Yep. And this is just a part of the journey to get there mm-hmm. that God is divinely foreordained. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It says, for this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. Mm. So jackals were normally in places where ruins were, where people didn't live anymore. I mean, it kind of points back towards Lamentations 1, where they're talking about how Lady Zion was so adorned, so beautiful among the nations, and then she played the harlot and it's kind of them remembering on those times of where things were so great under Solomon, where silver was counted as nothing, I think, if I remember, is mm. the way that the Bible describes it. He was given gobs and gobs and gobs of money. Yeah, and I mean, I can't even imagine like pure silver just being absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But the, that's the prosperity. I mean, that was the high peak. Right. And that's where they can recall on that and say how far we have fallen now because now they can't even get water to drink. Right. It's kind of like the way the Romans looked at the Pax Romana. I was like, oh, this is so great. And yeah. then like you get to the Western Eastern empires and you're like, where did this go? Yeah. You had the my air quotes here, peace that Rome provided, which was essentially obey me or I kill you. But it was peaceful. If you obeyed Rome, you were fine. They They allowed some people to keep their own governments and everything as long as they followed Caesar's rule. They did allow a lot. Yeah. They're probably, this might be sound a little bit crazy, but they were probably one of the more generous conquering rulers. I think it depends on your people. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how rebellious you were. Yeah. I mean, but if you were like Judah, 
If you were cooperative, then... It was not going to... If we were like Judah or Israel, it was not going to go well. No, I mean, it started well at first, but it did, and then they it went, ruined it. Yeah. And it went very far downhill. Yeah. So, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Yeah. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Man, what a way to end the mm. chapter. Then the book, it just kind of ends out of nowhere. You have this starting off, restore us, you know, this plea, restore us. Again, hearkening back to verse one, remember us. Oh, Lord, mm-hmm. restore us that we may be restored. Renew our days of old unless you have rejected us forever. It's just kind of like a nonchalant, like unless we're toast, mm-hmm. unless we're gone. Yeah. I like what, this is where I had this up right oh, here. Oh, this, this is, is where had, your notes came This up. is where my notes hit. I had this wrote down. <clears throat> Garrett here says, this final section closes the book on a hopeful yet uncertain note it is hopeful in that the people confess God's enduring power and authority as well as his ability to restore and renew. It is uncertain that the people state bluntly that God has cast them off for a very long time, which makes them wonder aloud if God ever intends to restore them. As has been true throughout the book, Israel realizes that all they can do is confess sin, confess God's authority, express their pain, and urgently ask God to deliver them through the book's message, has taken many forms presenting readers with many new angles. This unified message has remained intact throughout every successive segment. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing is it says renew our days as of old. And we'll kind of get back to that point at the end of where it really leaves us on that note. But think about that. When we're in lamenting, when we're in this idea of grief. Mm-hmm. We kind of get stuck in between these two thoughts, right? Of where you get complaining on this side, um, as I'm holding up my left hand mm-hmm. and complaining or lamenting on the right side. And I don't think that we really try to distance the two enough, or at least we, I had never really thought about distancing the two apart from each other. Mm-hmm. Because Stephen Smith kind of pointed out is like complaining is kind of like that whiny, self-interested, whiny. yeah. While lamenting's more pointed towards God-centered, towards other people, like God, this is happening. I want you to redeem our people. I want mm-hmm. you to know that you're sovereign, Lord. Remember this and remember your covenant with our people. Mm-hmm. While complaining is. Yeah, why me, God? This isn't how this is supposed to be. God, why did you put us here in the first place? Mm-hmm. I didn't deserve this. I've been good. I've obeyed the laws. Mm-hmm. We're lamenting more realizing that you're in a bad situation, but you hold on to that faithfulness and love of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Man, it's just so weird how it ends this, though. It is. It's like a cliffhanger, you know? It's just all this excitement, all this build up, 
all this pain. It's like one of those movies that just cuts off at the scene. It doesn't tell you the rest of the story. Right. It, it's kind of the way it makes me think about we're watching Chicago Fire right now. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, spoiler alert, one of the ambulance drivers had been impaled during a wreck. Mm-hmm. And like she does the heroic thing, like she pushes on, like re gauzes herself time and time again. And at the end of it, like just collapses on the floor. And you're like, uh, did she die? Uh, what's going to happen? There's no surgery. Next episode. It's like nothing ever happened. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? Like, what happened here? Like, what kind of yeah. transition is this? You yeah. can't just end it on that and not explain anything. That's, that's starting to riot. No, <laughs> but in one of those instances, like I'm not saying it's a terrible transition for what's mm-hmm. going on, but it's really begging the question of God, will you redeem us? Mm-hmm. And restore us to you, O Lord, that may, that we may be restored. And maybe this is the part where real faith comes in. I think one of the key things about the Bible that we really miss sometimes is yes, it is God's word. It is supposed to help us to live more. Like it gives us a moral to live by. It's supposed to sanctify us and right. grow us and, and conform us. Right. But it's not just made for that. Mm-mm. A part of, from what I understand of making a covenant is that it shows what has been done in the past. Mm-hmm is that covenant is based off a relationship. Mm-hmm. And in order to be in a covenant with God, God has given us this book to show us his character, to show us what he has done, what he has given for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why it's such a great story of how it moves from creation and gives a promise of the end times. To recreation. So from being good to absolute perfection. Mm-hmm. And God shows us how he is taking that vision, how he is doing it mm-hmm. constantly. And doesn't have the answers to everything? No. But it absolutely shows his character and what he's like. Yes. It shows all of his attributes. It shows his majesty, his glory, his mercy, his grace, his... I mean, just every page of scripture is so packed full of who God is. Right. And it's something that we need to remember to look back on. And I really think that this is part of where Lamentations is really trying to take us. At the end here, it says, But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Which, if you're recalling, echoes back to the Psalter. Mm Mm-hmm. It goes back to the Psalms. It's calling your attention to this praise, this glory for just a split second. That Again, that fleeting hope, that song of praise before the true emotions of the heart pour out. Mm-hmm. You can think to you, I mean, I like to think of it as you're literally sitting there in your despair and he's, he, the lamenter is he's got the Psalter, which if you read it, it's just full of, of this similar instances, despair with an ending of 
redeeming and and this ebb and flow and and how wonderful and merciful God is and his majesty his sovereignty and all that is portrayed throughout that and he's calling back to the God in that song it really kind of points to this one thing it says restore us to yourself O Lord that we may be restored this really points to something that we forget is that God has to restore us before we can be restored Mm-hmm. It's not something that we can do by our bootstraps. We can't just pick ourselves up and say, "Today, Lord, I'm gonna be good enough for you." No, it, and it's not like God. I've done X, Y, and Z, and this is good enough for me to be back with you. Mm-hmm. We can't make that judgment. We can't make that call. No, we've already started off negative mm-hmm. in the hole. You can't earn anything. You know. Romans, wonderful. There is none righteous, no, not one. I mean, just go back to our first five yeah. episodes. and <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand that those Calvinism, Reformed theology tenets, but those are what we believe of grace. Yeah. And I understand that people will miss that idea of this being grace, but we also have to understand that, folks, this book shouldn't have made it out of Genesis. No, no, we should have, we, we shouldn't have made it out of chapter three. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't have made it to Cain and Abel at all. No, it should have ended in the garden. Right. And people can sit and say on one hand, well, why would God do such a thing to create and know that, well, or create a world in which all this evil would happen? But what if God willing to display all of his attributes through all of his creation, not just in the judgment of some, but in the absolute mercy of others, to form a world in which he perfectly redeems. He doesn't wipe the slate off. He doesn't just wipe the sins under the table, that he actually purifies his people so that, why? So that they can be in his presence forever. Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, God is God, and the only way that someone or anything can be in the presence of God is if they're holy and just, and just like him in that aspect. And how can that happen? Well, it can't happen by any created thing. You look at the whole point of the story, you get to creation, and it's the first time of where humanity and them are walking together, right? Mm -hmm. And then that fails then you get God trying over and over again to be in the presence of his people. So coming down, dwelling in a tabernacle. Right. And you see that he gets to Moses and Israel the first time in the Mount Sinai Mm -hmm. and the tabernacle and dwelling with his people. And he's setting this up to be kind of like a new Eden. Mm -hmm. So where he dwells with his own people and he has strict things lined up so that he can dwell with them, be with them, be one of them, be their protector, be their father and be their husband or be like their husband. If we, that's the difference between all the pagan gods of foreign cultures and, and so on and so forth is their gods are distant, faraway gods that you have to appease through different rituals and different so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the God that we serve is a personal God, a God that actually cares about who you are enough that he entered his own creation. Right. And it continues on further. He continues this 
throughout the Old Testament when they're even failing. Mm-hmm. I mean, after Judges, he could have left. He could have put them away for judgment. But no, he sent Samuel and King David to bring them back mm-hmm. and Solomon to build a temple so that he could dwell with them once again. Mm-hmm. And yet, what does they do? They turn away. Mm-hmm. And, and said, we come to this point where they exile in Babylon and God uses Babylon and Assyria as his tools of judgment. Mm-hmm. But does he end the story there? No. no. He sends an even better temple, his mm-hmm. own son, mm-hmm. to go out and cleanse and bring his people back to him. He takes all those exterior things. He takes the sins and the rebellions and he basically says, I'm going to do it with all that. And now you will come to me. Now I will make it to where I purify you and I draw you and you will come. Mm -hmm. And I will give you the perfect temple. You will worship me in absolute perfection. No more, no more rebellion. Yeah. I mean, it points back to John four for those who will worship me will worship me in spirit and truth. Yeah. Not in a temple that's in Jerusalem, not in a temple that's somewhere in Samaria, but in spirit and truth, because that is where God has called us to be. Yeah. And it's all pointing towards that final day of recreation where we can finally be in perfect union with him and have that perfect relationship that God wants us to have with them that god has called us to have with them mm-hmm. so when the when the lamenter when jeremiah says restore us to you O lord that we may be restored that restoration that will happen the overarching restoration is the actual true restoration of god's people to himself through christ the renew our days as of old no it's better. So much more. So much better. And we might not be able to see it now, but there'll be a time that we have faith in, that we have hope in, that will be a so much better day for us. Uh, the uh, This is the, I brought this big book out here, The New Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Ooh, fancy. This is a fantastic book. And it says the theme from Lamentations in the New Testament. I just wanted to read this little section right here because it was so good. The events in Jerusalem of 587 BC highlight the larger biblical issue of humanity's ruin as a result of sin and disobedience to God. As Israel's future can be found only beyond death and destruction, so also humankind's hope can only be found in the finished work of Jesus and what he accomplished in his death. His final words from the cross, as recorded in the Gospel of John, are, It is finished, John 19.30. With the death of Jesus, there is hope for all. As the structure of lamentation suggests that the time of mourning and hopelessness will be limited, so also the New Testament Gospel of Jesus predicts a time when the tragedy of rebellion will be removed to make way for a new era of hope. Revelation 21.4 Absolutely. That was the end of Lamentations. I hope through all this, you've just enjoyed getting to know obscure book in the Old Testament. I hope so. It's been beneficial for me. 
We haven't been able to do this as consistently as we had wished. No. But we have made it through. We have persevered. <laughs> and Restore us as of old. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe with the church discipline section coming up. We Wait, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> or not spiritual discipline. Oh, okay. You said church discipline. I was like, oh. We're in trouble now, We're in we? trouble. We're going to have church discipline on us now? No. Our next series after this that we're planning is the spiritual disciplines. So if you want to catch up with us, I mean, go ahead and you can get Celebration of Discipline by... man, Don, Don Whitney? No, that's not Whitney. Oh. That's... Foster is his last name. I can't think of what his first one is right now. But the spiritual... Man, now I can't think of what the name of the book is. I got it on my phone. I do too. I've been listening to it. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney is kind of... Those are the two books that I have. I'll kind of base things off of. I know he's got the Spiritual Disciplines for the Mm -hmm. Christian Life. And those are the ones that both point towards it. That's kind of where we're going to be focusing next is mm-hmm. spiritual disciplines because it's something that we don't talk about enough. No. And it's, I know, like Lemon, going into yeah. spiritual disciplines because it's going to be beneficial for all of us to increase our depth. Yeah. To increase in our chance to have a relationship with God. Yeah. Because I know if there's one thing that this podcast has really been beneficial in me trying to learn is that it's actually pointing me towards a relationship with God to be conformed to what I'm saying I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So guys, thanks for listening to anchored by faith. You can find us on most podcasting sites or find us at anchoredbyfaith.podbean.com. Feel free to be on the lookout for new podcasts. Remember the idea of this whole podcast is that we do become conform to the image of Christ and that we work on doing that together. So my name is Logan Battisti and my name is Colton Wright. Thanks for listening guys and God bless.